0: Okay, welcome to the Jason Heck Show. I'm here again with uh, John Engel. We're going to be talking about Aliens, the sequel to 1979's Alien, and today we're going to be doing Minute 92. So take it away, John. Yeah, I'm here to...
1: Um, is it all right if I talk about some notes? Yeah, go. Go right, ahead. Jason, okay, cool. So, um, yeah. So today we're going to be, uh, like you said, talking about Minute 92, and uh, this is an unorthodox way to start the show, but whatever you know 100 some episodes let's talk let's start differently once why not Uh, right i'm back the audience has
0: demanded it i guess i'm just asking to be above the credits for once in my life that's fine i'll I'll let you above the title above everything i want to be at the top i want to be above the podcast name i would like your cats to stop harassing me i would like uh the little boy from Outland to be shaved and brought to me for immediate execution. And um, I, do you think
1: he needs to be shaved? I yeah. think he seems very, very well shaven already. And you know, I think my cats are just lo- looking at you the way those facehuggers looked at, at Burke. You know, this <laughs> one. <laughs> they like you. It's love at first sight, and they want you to be impressed with them. John has
0: two cats. They're both rather rather heavyweights, and their names are Heidi and Goo. Yes, Goo, G-O-O. And they're actually both very friendly and very nice. I, I denigrate them for cheap and easy laughs, as Letterman did, Sarah Palin. But uh, rather than risk all the hatred from, from the conservative media, I'm just going to say they're terrific cats, and we're, we're lucky to have them.
1: Well, and I will say, too, that we're talking about minute 92 here, uh, and I will say that it begins with Ripley looking around the room, and it ends with Burke shutting off a security monitor. Did you already say that? Well, no,
0: but, I mean, holy hell, what a minute. Uh, we've We've had minutes that have had chills. We've had minutes that have had thrills. But few minutes hit the ground running with a, oh, my God, holy shit moment like this minute.
1: Yeah, so we get Ripley, she's reached up, she's realized the gun's gone, she peeks up and looks around the room for just a second before FaceHugger Yep, yeah, you got <laughs> just jumps right out. Now, we talked to yesterday about the timing of all this. So maybe the face have only been out of the stasis tube thing for a few seconds. Right, that's
0: what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, like you know, based on our our theory from last my theory, but I'm hoping other people are adopting it, that they just got released, like minute a minute or two before maximum.
1: Because I, I was wondering, you know, in my notes before we actually talked about that last minute, uh, I wondered at what the motivation here for the jumping, the leaping out for the face hugger was. Because if it had been there for a while, why didn't it just come on under the, the bed there and take care of business there? Was it in perhaps waiting for movement? Because we know that the face huggers are somewhat activated by that, right. right? Like we get that a little right. bit in with Cain, you know, approaching the egg. And, and when they're in eggs… Like we haven't seen a face hugger, a free roaming, we have free range face huggers here, sure. right? We don't have sure. the cage free, the egg bound, yeah, cage free. We have egg bound face huggers here, so this is a little different than what we've seen before.
0: We know they key on movement, and we know they key on curiosity, and we know act- after Billy Crittup's death in Covenant, we know they key on stupidity as well. So, what's the key here? Movement. That's the one of the three keys that they're going to key on is movement.
1: So, do you think the fa- that particular face hugger was waiting for something? Well, maybe. Or do you it think just, it was on its way over? I
0: think it was just climbing up on the bed. Right. I don't. Yeah. Th- you, know, you can't. We know that Burke wouldn't have. You know, picked it up and tossed it. It would have gone right at him. So we, we're pretty sure he just dumped over. You know, put him on a on a cart and kind of pushed the cart in, dumped him over, and c- closed the door. So the face huggers, a little disoriented, sit in their little stasis bath, kind of wandering around. One of them jumps up on the bed and. Senses Ripley. We know that the aliens can sense all people through, you know, electromagnetics or heat or odor or whatever, but it senses Ripley under there and uh, comes right after, makes the leap, heads at her,
1: jumps at her, jump scare. Definitely jump scare. And she's quick, man. She gets right out of the way. And we get a first example of wedging. A face hugger gets yes. something that we'll get a little bit more later. But also, she just flips that bed right over on top of it. Right, things. a, big, a, nice a move. big
0: thanks to the to the sturdy craftsman uh, at King Coil or or whoever, or Cerda or or whoever makes this sweet bed because it's enough to pin and hold a face hugger temporarily, uh, allowing our heroine and junior heroine to escape.
1: So, what, what do you think the face hugger strategy is now? Because it runs out from under the bed. And seems to disappear for long enough. They apparently feel comfortable enough to put their, turn their backs to it just to wave out that window. That seems weird to me. Wouldn't the facehugger be uh, – I think of it more like the uh, an insatiable beast. Like it doesn't have any strategic uh, abilities. It's just going to come at them. Yeah, you'd think that the, 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 uh, the impregnating
0: imperative might be overriding and overpowering. But, you know, at the second t- – we also know that the aliens are – so well crafted for survival, acid for blood, uh, the, the outer silicate shell that, that it, all these amazing things to keep the facehugger alive. You can't pull it off without killing the host, all these gimmicks. So maybe there is some rudimentary cunning to allow them to plan, okay, I need to attack the person who is at point C. If I get up from, I'm at point A, if I jump up high onto point B, I can make that happen better. Maybe there's some rudimentary cunning. Because if we know one thing, the aliens are cunning as hell. Maybe it starts in utero. Maybe they're they're cunning from the minute they're born.
1: It could be. I mean, that's how advanced they are, right? You know, they could, they could be just, like, ready for this at any – and we don't know – I don't know where these facehuggers exactly came from. You know, maybe they already have a little, like – this is going to sound – probably ignorant I, I don't know how to talk about dna exactly but maybe they already have a couple of evolutionary steps in their dna where they're already ready to like straight up be strategic you know function in a strategic <laughs> well, manner well, but John,
0: you're clearly no scientist but yes uh, yes clearly, clearly I, not. no but i i think you're totally right i i think you know maybe you know maybe something in the uh, i don't know maybe something about colonists who have already been you know assimilated or digested or have you know colonists who have birthed face huggers that have become the workers of this of this alien hive this nest which we know is what a couple hundred um over a hundred so maybe something you know the eggs get smarter maybe something about uh you know the when um a, a nest reaches a certain size it gets smarter or maybe the queen is you know maybe maybe they're sampling dna from people could be anything we're we're off on a on a pretty wild tangent but i would say that this thing it's 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 you know it's it's defenseless sort of right it's you know you, you can blow it away we know that you can trap it with a bed it, it has mechanisms designed to to uh, stave off a a close attack, right? We don't, you don't dare, if you're a predator, you don't dare bite it. You don't dare, um, I mean, predator with a lowercase p, obviously. Uh, But if you're, if you're some kind of hostile organism, you're going to have trouble with it. But at the same time, you know, it is not seven feet tall, bulletproof, immensely strong, like it's going to become. So maybe it is blessed with a little bit of stick to the shadows type cunning.
1: Yeah, it could be. I mean, there's got to be that's got to be the only explanation, really, because to me, it doesn't make much sense for it to scurry off other than to give Ripley and Newt some time to play out the scene the way it was written, you know, so we have to come up with some way of retconning the the, the motivations of the facehugger in order to make that make sense. But, um, so we do jump then now we have them at the window. I always found this very effective. We got the hectic craziness. We have uh, toppling cots. We got scurrying face huggers, uh, all this noise happening inside. And when they turn to bang on the window silence, right. right? You just get a like low thump. You get the idea of just how disconnected they are audibly from the outside of the room. Yeah. Um, I think it's really effective. It definitely gives you this. Kind of chilling moment where it's like, oh god, nobody's. Not only is nobody within sight, but nobody is has any chance of being within earshot of them. Right, right now. anything anything so can the, happen to them in there. They're they're in this
0: isolation cube in the middle of not you know what was once a bustling area, but you know they're not that far from operations. We know that help in the form of several heavily armed Marines is actually not far away, but they can't alert that help because of this, you know, ballistic glass or whatever the hell it is that's preventing it. And it's, you know, this, that's also preventing her half an inch of of this super glass from getting to the pulse rifle, which she can see on the table, the console right on the other side of that glass. I mean, her gun is six feet away and she can't get to it.
1: Yeah. No, is all glass made this way in the future? Is that what we're supposed to sort of assume wow. here? Like, why the hell would they have such durable glass between two rooms inside of well, a building? you know, it's like
0: a med bay, right? Isolation thing or protocols. But what if you, you know, we know that that they're not, that it's a mining colony, right? So we know that they don't have the best surgical gear. Just like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Nostromo, you know, had a lab that looked sort of advanced, but since it's basically a tugboat or a semi-truck in space, was probably not cutting edge. So we figured that, that uh, the LV-426 colony probably doesn't have state-of-the-art stuff. So you're not going to know how to analyze a new disease molecule or whatever, but you are going to know how to isolate somebody in quarantine. and quarantine them. We already know from Alien about the science division's basic quarantine law, right? So we know quarantining people is something you still do. You don't uh, do a Star Trek kind of hypo spray and suddenly everybody's better. Oh, I, I was blind and I had that huge tumor and carbuncle, but thank you, Dr. McCoy. I'm ready to continue my Olympic training. That's how Star Trek would sort it out. Here, it's a lot dirtier. It's a lot bloodier. It's a lot more hands-on. And so you've got to keep them locked up if you've got some guys, well, I'm sorry I coughed blood, but I'd really like to see my daughter. Oh, you can't, Bill. We can't let you out. Well, you don't think that glass is going to stop me? Well, actually, yeah, Bill. I think it's going to stop you. And then you had the guy try and kick his way out and hurt himself. And anyway, that's that's what's behind the glass.
1: So you're welcome. You're well, I, I think now, now that you brought Star Trek oh, into the conversation, it. I think it's clear I think it's clear that this is transparent aluminum. I knew
0: you were going to go to Star Trek four. I could have smelled it with Scotty typing away on the Mac. I could have seen this coming.
1: I knew it. Yeah, I mean, you might as well just said, hello, computer. I knew it. You're and probably, and picking, up your mouse. You're probably into- picking
0: up your mouse right now, aren't you? And said hello, computer. Uh, no. I knew it. No, I, no. no. God, why don't, I, I didn't why don't you just try and take me to the nuclear vessels while you're at it? That was Voltron again, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry.
1: Sorry, let's start. I should not I starting. knew I shouldn't have put Voltron by Too many toys.
0: Too many toys on the table, I'm sorry. Archer has such cool stuff.
1: Well, okay, so we got to the part where Ripley sees the gun outside. So we no now we know um She, she knows, knows it's
0: official. Yeah, it's sabotage.
1: She knows it's official, sabotage and it has to be Burke. Who else would do this? Right, she's got to know. She, Mitch and I talked extensively about how she really kind of pushes Burke into a corner. How maybe in hindsight that wasn't such a good idea.
0: Right, you maybe could have done that when you got home.
1: Yeah, um, there, there's really no reason to to come at him. But I understand from an emotional standpoint, it makes perfect sense. It's just uh, maybe don't corner the guy who has nothing. You know, don't give somebody uh, take away anything semblance of having something to lose from someone, you know, because they might just do anything to save themselves. He
0: has no scruples anyway. We know that. So when she said, actually, just so you know, I know that you're responsible. You're, you're a colossal, essentially a colossal mass murderer. And, um, I'm not going to let you get away with it. Well, you know what, Ripley, we're, you know, about a bazillion miles from home and the missions turned to shit probably not the best time to confront him
1: and be like, well, when this is all over yeah, if it's over. Right. And of course what's happening here is that she's assuming he doesn't have the balls to kill somebody himself. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. Like, I guess I could get that. But at the same time, if you've got a person who, um, who is so, I don't know what the word would be. I mean, he's so ambitious. He's ambitious to a point where he's making excuses over, uh, letting people die over exclusive rights to something, you know. That you might want to consider that he if you really tell him that there's no way out of this for you, buddy, I'm going to tell everybody and you're going to I'm going to nail you to the wall for this, as she puts it. That maybe he's going to do something at least something sneaky enough to deal with you, you know, if he if he doesn't shoot you in the back at some point. Let's
0: let's transpose this. What if John Saxon in Enter the Dragon had said to Dr. Han I know what you're doing here, doctor, and you're not going to get away with it. Well, the doctor's already said, it isn't easy for me to be totally ruthless. It's more difficult than you might realize. And was fully prepared to apparently guillotine a cat. Yeah. Just as stupid. Why would you do it? You're not in the right place to make these accusations, John Saxon. Yeah, you're going to be able to kick your way out with Bruce Lee's help, but... You're not in the great in, in a great place to make these kind of remarks to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to bring you, uh, I swear I'm going to bring you to justice, even though I'm in the middle of your fortress surrounded by your martial arts army. Same, same with uh, Ellen Ripley here. Not the smartest move to say, you know, I'm going to nail you right to the wall on this one. When in point of fact, if any of them get out of there, it'll be a miracle. Even though they're all very resourceful, they're all working their hardest, they are still miles away from the colonial marshals or law enforcement or whatever it is they are basically in the middle it's like saying to a guy in a foxhole hey i I know you knifed that german and actually tortured him instead of just shooting him after this battle's over you and i are gonna have words well probably not the best time to do that
1: nope yeah you you definitely i guess she should have kept her cards a little closer to her her vest there you know that's don't don't tell somebody you're going to bring him to justice. Just bring him to justice at the right time.
0: You're basically saying to the guy with the necklace made out of Viet Cong ears that you're going to bring him to justice for war crimes when the battle's over. It's like, well, right. he's still got a gun and there's still plenty of fighting to do, so anything could happen. And that was yep. probably – it was very cathartic for us. It let us see Ripley's moral fiber. It let us see that she had done a little bit of sleuthing. It confirmed that Burke is absolutely, utterly without scruples. But it also was, yeah. Uh, from from a screenplay idea, it was terrific. From uh, a lost in space and fighting a desperate battle a bazillion miles from home against losing odds perspective, it was pretty pretty stupid.
1: Yeah. So uh, she's she's a little bit hopeless here. She knows she's been had. She knows she's been sabotaged. She can't get any uh, traction off this like banging on the window idea. She so she remembers she
0: uses the camera.
1: Yeah, she remembers the camera that she pointed out to Newt earlier. So we already know the camera's there, so they they established that earlier, even though she establishes it by lying to Newt and saying that she'll always be watching her uh, through wow. the camera, which she doesn't do. But um, she starts waving her arms and yelling for Hicks, very specifically for Hicks, Yeah, which I think is very telling. I think we know why, um, everyone out there that's been listening. Uh, Ripley, Ripley and Hicks have that connection, and that's the, that's the one person she believes can come through for her so that's who she's yelling for even though you know practically speaking she probably knows that there's no sound on the other end it's just calling out desperately for help and uh of course the wrong guy is watching oh. the, the other end. boys that's some bad luck yeah he's he certainly walked into the room and said oh, i'll be watching these monitors while you guys do the other stuff you know just to make sure um and man this is some this is some top tier Wormy acting from Paul Reiser. Yeah. Uh, get.
0: You, you, want, you want Hicks to be watching, but what you get is Executive Vice President for Machiavellian Action, Carter J. Burke, watching. And uh, he's great. He's made up just right. He's lit just right. He's pasty. He's nervous looking. This is a Hail Mary on his part. Because whatever happens, we know he's going to have to do a lot of lying. Because <laughs> to, to, to have this plan come through... Everybody's gonna die. Not I mean, he's he's gonna be your basic sole survivor. We we find out later, but now knowing that, and everybody who listens to this podcast has doubtless seen this movie. Knowing when Ripley lays out his plan, it sounds very plausible. It sounds like something he would do, and like she's got it all worked out. So knowing that, yeah, he's nervous. It's not just nervous about is about seeing her about her being rescued which would obviously be instantly bad. But he's got a long, rough road of lying and deception. If the plan succeeds, he's got to get his facts straight and his bullshit worked out and, and jettison. He's got to kill the remaining members of the Marines. And you know he's got a lot of work to do if he's going to have this payday with the bioweapons division.
1: Of course, the, the lying deceit... That all that stuff he's got covered. That's the stuff that he probably isn't as worried about. Like once he gets all these people dead, then that's the the hard work's over for Burke. He's 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 well schooled. He's very experienced in bullshitting his way out of stuff. But it's all this killing he's got to do that's got him sweating. I think. I think it's th- this is a step uh, that he's never had to take before. And that's why I, I think he's he's shaking his boots here, you know. Yeah,
0: particularly and, when he has to kill trained killers, people who are dramatically better at killing and dramatically
1: tougher than he is. Well, he does. At this point, we don't know. Like, I think his assumption is, I got to get rid of Ripley because Ripley is the one that knows everything. Now we we don't know that um, the rest of them know anything yet, right? Like we we haven't. She, we only saw the conversation between her and him. So we didn't see her explain to the Marines, "Hey, Burke, Burke's behind all this. You know, the Burke is not who he seems." So this idea that she's going to present later about him um, sabotaging their their cryopods is still in play. I imagine that's still the idea, right, from his point of view. So he really just needs to take care of uh, kill a woman and child, which I guess he's probably struggling with on some level, you know. Yeah, so uh, that's I think that's where we're getting this nervous, this like pasty, just all the life sucked out of his face, kind of nervous, terrified uh, acting that we're getting from Paul Reiser. He's great at it.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a great shot, and it turns out what a, what a great bit of totally casting against type. It, it, Carter Burke turns out to be. I mean, Riser, Mr. Amiable, you know, hokey, somewhat hokey '80s comedian, you know, who wants to talk about the foibles of relationships and everything, is actually great in this movie. He's really good. And and this this shot, this performance, this look, sort of that that tapping where he makes the final commitment to their death by turning off that monitor is really a good moment.
1: Yeah, and that's pretty much all we're going to get from him for the rest of the movie. I think we're. He's sunk. Like, he's really doomed as a character. You probably could suss that out the first time you watch this movie, really, uh, once you get to this part. But, yeah, we're not going to see any more of the amiable, like nice guy talking his way out of stuff or even seemingly possibly being a trustworthy character. Like we got earlier. Now we know we were fully, he's a villain at this point. Now he actually, not only has he been called out on acting like a villain earlier in unseen ways, but now we're getting a direct action, a villainous action where he is, um, shutting everyone off from the ability to see the danger that one of their, you know, some of their people are in. So
0: He's gone from um, a guy who made a mistake, uh, now a horrific mistake, let's not minimize that, but a guy who made a mistake. He, he As he put it, a bad call. It was
1: a bad call. Right.
0: He's now an active murderer, not just a guy whose greed got in the way of proper security or safety or or exploration precautions, but now he's taken the step over the line to active killing himself. And you're right. He is, he is confirmed through and through as a villain. And now here he is, of course, juxtaposed in the same, you know, he, he shares the frame with the immensely capable and empathetic Corpor- Corporal Hicks, who is there? So it's it's kind of you know we've we've got our, our yin and yang. We've got the the worst part of, of the corporate dynamic, and we've got the, the the bravery and the honor and and
1: everything that you want a soldier to have. And that's that's Hicks. Yep, well, we can talk more about that tomorrow. We'll get uh, Hicks to start our minute off tomorrow. So if you're done with this minute, let's move on. All right, well, that's going to do it for Minute 92. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 93. In the meantime, you can come over to uh, Twitter and follow us there at Alien Minute Podcast. You can go over to Instagram and follow us there at Alien Minute Pod. You can come over to our T Public page and buy a T-shirt. Um, you could leave us a virtual tip in our tip jar at uh, over at alienminute.com. Just click on the purple pig in the upper left corner and drop us a couple bucks. All right, well, we'll see you tomorrow for Minute Ninety Three.